This episode brought to you by Audible, your audio book source with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash sports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is episode 32. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now, starting this podcast, it was all about sharing stories of people and how sports impacted their lives because I knew sports helped shape and mold my life. And there's also this thrill of competition and the drive associated with that. And, you know, not only from a team perspective, but also from an individual perspective or an individual sport. And so I knew I wanted to make sure and share stories of people from both team sports as well as individual sports because the impact of sports is not just limited to being on a team. There's still so much that can be learned from competing on an individual basis and individual sports and it still can shape and mold your life. And that's why I'm really excited with our guest this episode and that's LPGA Tour member Allie McDonald. But before we jump into the Rich Spotlight with Allie, I just want to remind everybody and let you know that you can find all of our episodes on our website, richtakeonsports.com, and you can also subscribe directly from the website as well. And if you want to connect via Twitter, please follow us at Rich Take Sports. Let's now move on to the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Allie McDonald is our guest this episode, and she's a young, bright star on the LPGA Tour. Now, before earning her LPGA Tour card for the 2017 season, Allie was a member of the 2014 U.S. Curtis Cup team and was also a two-time All-American while at Mississippi State University. She then embarked on her professional career on the Symmetra Tour in 2016, where she posted eight top 10 finishes, including four runner-ups, and finished with the second high earnings total in tour history and she's now in her first year on the LPGA tour where she's posted four top 20 finishes including a tie for 16th at the Women's British Open and a 13th finish at the Avion Championship. Now I was fortunate to catch up with Allie after her trip to New Zealand for the New Zealand Women's Open and as a father of a daughter I was curious to know how she became so interested in golf and sports. I started I guess with a club in my hand at age four, my dad uh, cut off a three iron for me. We were living in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi at the time. Um, And uh, I would just kind of go out in the yard with that three iron, some plastic golf balls. And, you know, it was just kind of a little bit of a, you know, for fun thing. And then uh, when I was four, we moved to Fulton where I basically grew up uh, my whole life. And um, I guess it was 
I guess it was about age 11 when I got more interested in it. But during that time from when we moved to Fulton to 11, uh, my dad would take me to the golf course to let my mom sleep because she worked a night shift at a hospital. So that was kind of like my big introduction at the golf course, learning more about it and kind of just getting plugged in and interested. And uh, I guess at 11, my um, the superintendent at my home course, Stanley Ramey, he had a son who was just a little bit older than me who had been seeing a teacher in West Point, Mississippi, out at Old Waverly, um, VJ Trollio. And I went to him, got a lesson. Um, I'm actually, he's we're, we still work together. Um, I've been seeing him for, I guess, 13, almost 14 years now. Um, and then after a couple of years, Tim Yelverton came in as a short game and putting coach at Old Waverly. So I've had, you know, I've had a lot of great teachers who have influenced me and who have uh, shaped my game to where it is now. But yeah, that's just kind of a a short little summary of how I got started and kind of who I've worked with and where I am now. And so those earliest memories when your dad is modifying this three iron, what are some of those first memories that you have? Well, I honestly didn't remember very much about that, but, you know, you see photos of, you know, of of me out in the yard with a three iron and these plastic golf balls. And that's just kind of the memory I guess I have in my head or, or from these pictures that they've showed me. But I just don't like distinctly remember where I can actually see myself there doing that, if that makes sense. But I, I've, That does. So was there a point that you can trace back to, I distinctly remember this time with my dad on the golf course? I think... Yes, and I think it wasn't really until I got interested that I started ha- that I can actually remember. I, I remember my very first golf lesson, um, and then when I started working uh, a little bit more on the game with VJ, um, that's kind of when I when I really started to to get more plugged into the game and, and learning more about golf itself. I think all the things before that was just kind of a for fun thing to kind of, I guess, get interested in the game. Uh, but I didn't, I don't really have like a true, I guess, memory of the golf course, except for when I started to get like, oh, this is kind of fun. Maybe I should, maybe I should start doing this competitively. You know what I mean? That's right. Now, what about other sports? Did you play other sports growing up? I did. Actually, I would probably say I loved basketball before I loved golf. Um, I was a huge, huge basketball fan. I loved it. I was a point guard. Um, I played growing up, um, and the only year that I did not play was my junior year of high school. I made the decision, the very tough decision, uh, that I wanted to focus on golf and make sure that I had my scholarship because I knew I knew where I was gonna I was going to school for golf. So, really, without any sort of, and there was a little bit of hesitation because I think. There's so many things that basketball can help you with in your golf game. Just, you know, staying in shape. You get natural strength, I think, from uh, just competing in that aspect. Um, And then I missed it so much my senior year. I had to go back and play one last year since I knew I wasn't going to have an opportunity uh, to play anymore. But I think growing up, I was if there was a ball, I was in. I was I was I was that kind of Tom girl that uh, that really wanted to be around sports and I just love to compete and you know if if there was any sort of activity that involved 
a ball I was in. <laughs> yeah. See, now where where did that competitive spirit come from? I mean, did you have brothers and sisters that would fuel that competitive spirit, or is that just something that you had in your DNA? I, you know, I think it's something I had in my DNA. My brother was four years younger than me. He's an athlete too. He's actually at Blue Mountain. Uh, college in Boonville, Mississippi, playing golf. He played two years at ICC at Awama Community College and then is now finishing up his last two years at Blue Mountain. Um, but he was all into sports too, uh, baseball and basketball to be specific. And, you know, I don't know. I think my, you know, my mom and dad are, are you know, somewhat, comp- they're pretty competitive too. I, for sure, my dad, that's actually a huge part. I think my, my family was just so into sports growing up that, you know, it was just kind of a part of our life. And I was just so competitive and just loved it that I was just so into it, no matter what we were doing. And I'm still that way to this day. You know, if there's some sort of competition I'm in, I want to win. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of that competition, but you're in high school now and you didn't compete against girls in high school because there wasn't a golf team. You had to compete against the boys. Can you share how that all came about and what that was like? Yeah, so um, I guess it was my, probably I think it was my seventh or eighth grade year. I can't remember exactly, but we did find, actually it was my sixth grade year. We found two other girls um, who had kind of, you know, been into the game, but they weren't really they weren't really like avid golfers or anything like that, but we kind of, uh, we kind of formed a girls team for one year, um, and played, they were both seniors. So, and then I was a sixth grader. So we went and we, it was actually the Mississippi high school activities association. It was a non-sanctioned girls state tournament. Uh, my sixth grade year we went and we won, but it was, that was like the only time that I competed with a girls team. And it was just for division and state. And then after that, you know, I didn't really have anybody else to compete with me. So at that time, it was a the only other option was to play with the guys. So, I, you know, I played with the guys. We we formed where we had a team and we were young. I basically played with the same guys from seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade, all the way to my junior year before the three oldest guys graduated my junior year of high school. And we won. I think we won three state titles, but it was it was a lot of fun. They took care of me, but it was I guess my sophomore year. We ran into a little bit of a of an issue with the MHSAA. I think a few of the coaches had petitioned the MHSAA that it was unfair um, that I was getting to play from the girls' tees playing against the guys. So they um, they petitioned the MHSAA for me not to be allowed to play with the guys. And it ended up going through. So then we, in turn, had to petition the MHSAA to get a, I guess, permission for me to finish my high school career playing with the guys, but from the guys' tee. So there was a little bit of a ride in there for me to be allowed to finish my high school career playing on the boys' team. Otherwise, I would not have gotten to play. But now, to this day, no girls can play on the boys' team. Um, with the MHSAA. Um, but but in that, I learned so much playing against the guys. I learned to, to naturally try to hit it further to try to keep up. But it was, I think, looking back, it was a huge part of shaping me from for where I am today, competing against the guys and playing from where they played from. Did that give you extra motivation because it was almost like people telling you you couldn't do something? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, once somebody tells you that, you know, you can't really do something, it's, it's almost like you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and you're like, well, I mean, if they're going to, if they think they're going to prove something by making me play from the, where the guys play from, then I'm going to show them that I can do it. And actually my senior year, I won the state championship, the boys state championship playing, competing from the boys tees at about 6,800 yards. And it, that was, that was a, a really huge part of, uh, or it was a, a really, really big thing for me. And looking back, it was a big step for me and what all I did leading up to my professional career. Was that somewhat of a defining moment for you in terms of validation, confidence that I can play and now I have the confidence that I want to be a professional golfer? Or had you thought about being professional way before that? Well, I think the the summer before my senior year, I kind of had an aha moment at the uh the USGA girls junior I had played in one other girls junior and I missed the cut um, in my first girls junior and uh, the the girls junior at uh, Pinehurst North Carolina we played the country club of North Carolina and um, I made it to the semifinals and I think that was kind of my aha moment where I was like maybe I'm a little bit better than I'm giving myself credit for and I should you know really work hard on this and you know, maybe I could, maybe I could go play professionally after college, but it was that, I think that was the big moment. And then winning that boys state title was even more validation to add to it. Uh, Of course. I can imagine you probably got some looks and comments from all of those coaches that had petitioned against you (laughs) and you showed them up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, but it, it was a lot of fun and I had a lot of support from a lot of people and, uh, it was definitely great winning that tournament. And how was your dad in the whole process um, in terms of encouraging you to continue pushing to be allowed to play against the boys? Well, I think I think it was a lot of just reminding me that, you know, they're probably going to hit it further, um, but that doesn't mean anything. And it was just, he, he kind of encouraged me by saying, you're going to be playing longer golf courses, so this is a great opportunity for you to really hone in on your short game and know that, you know, you're probably going to have to grind to get the ball up and down. Cause at that age I was hitting it a pretty far amount for a girl, I guess, but playing in a lot of things around Mississippi. And I wasn't, I really didn't branch out, you know, a whole lot except for those USGA events and competing uh, in the U S. Um, but that was, that was big for my dad to always encourage me and, you know, my mom too, my grandparents, you know, I just had a huge support system, uh, in every aspect of, in every age that I was in, in, in golf. And they, uh, they just always reminded me that, that I just needed to keep doing what I was doing. And they saw potential and was, was always a huge support and got me to where I am today. Now, did you and your dad play a lot of golf together growing up? And is, was that a way for you to, to, to bond over the golf course? Yeah, I mean, in, in basketball too. I mean, it was it was always if I was into sports, you know, my dad was great. You know, he was always we would actually were so much alike we would butt heads really bad. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but now but now it's great. And um, you know, my mom was was always great too. It was more, you know, if dad was hard on me, I would go talk to mom and 
you know, but, but my dad was always, he always pushed me, which, you know, looking back at times, I would think it was too much, but it definitely was a huge shape in me to get where I am. For sure. Now, choosing Mississippi State, how did that come about? And were you interested in other schools? I know you'd mentioned that, hey, I knew I was going to Mississippi State, but were there other schools that you were looking at? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up, we went to Mississippi State football games from a really young age. I just remember Mississippi State was just, you know, who we grew up pulling for. And um, I guess it was, I guess it was about 14, 15, something like that, that I really was interested in Mississippi State and the golf team. And I, at a younger age, though, I, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of, of knowledge, knowing much about the school other than I pulled for them. But I guess when it started getting into time to select a college, it was it was down to Mississippi State and Arkansas. Those were t- my two kind of it's going to be one or the other. And then once I once I met uh, Coach Ginger, who is at Mississippi State now, and we were they were in the process of changing coaches. So Christy Sanders was who had recruited me for most of my amateur career. She had recruited me, and once I knew that it was going to the program was going to be in good hands with Coach Ginger coming in and her goals kind of aligning with where I saw Mississippi State and what I wanted to do to kind of turn the program around. I was in, I was fully committed and was super excited to be a part of the team that I grew up pulling for. And um, it was just, it was a lot of fun kind of turning the program around and and putting them back on the map and getting to do it at a, a school that I grew up loving. Of course, and I imagine you've you've got plenty of cowbells at home. Is that right? Oh gosh, so many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did they? Are you ringing cowbells out on the golf course when you're competing at Mississippi State, or is it just football games? No, just just football. You know, they we we limit it to that. But um, you know, I made a joke this year out on uh, in Arkansas. They have the uh, number seventeen as a par three. They kind of kind of compare it to the stadium hole that the guys play so they they always call the hogs if there's a there's an Arkansas grad coming through and I joked that I should put a cowbell in here and just kind of stir things up here (laughs) right here in Arkansas (laughs) I love it oh yes so now you finish up your time at Mississippi State what's that process like now trying to get your tour card I was one of the players who chose to completely finish out my career before I made any sort of commitment to to play the LPGA qualifying school. I know several girls now kind of go to go to that qualifying school. I guess the the year before they're going to graduate, so they'll go and then know that when they finish up school in May, they have status on the Symmetra Tour. But I I kind of chose to I wanted to be fully in at Mississippi State. I didn't want to have to uh, if for some reason I made it all the way to stage three and could get my card. I did not want to have to choose between them. And so I, I, I finished out my college career in May of 2015. And then I, I kind of emailed out some tournaments in the area to see if I could get some sponsor exemptions. Um, I ended up playing in the LPGA event in Prattville, Alabama uh, on a sponsor exemption, as well as the uh, Symmetra Tour event in El Dorado, Arkansas. 
Um, and then other than that, I just kind of played. Uh, I played in a couple of state opens, actually won my very first professional event. I went to Michigan to play in the Michigan Women's Open um, and won. And uh, and then I just kind of I, I've played and did a lot of preparation for qualifying school since it's it's really spaced out with stage one in August and then stage two in October and the final stages in December. Um, so, you know, you really had to had to, you know, stay on your toes and, and stay sharp with that spread out so far. But, yeah, that's kind of what I, I played in, you know, one LPGA, one Symmetra Tour, and then I played in uh, just some state opens here and there. And obviously you did really well on the Symmetra Tour, and now you're in position to secure your LPGA Tour card. So what was that process like? So I I, I finished final stage of qualifying, and I finished T22 and the top 20 get your full status. So if you finish 21st through 45th, you're granted conditional status, um, which means you you may not make every start, um, but you will be able to make some starts. So um, once I knew that I had conditional status, I really had to, I had to make the tough decision of whether I was going to play the whole year on the Symmetra Tour or if I was going to kind of, you know, wait and see what I would get in on the LPGA and, and, you know, maybe I'll play some LPGA events and some Symmetra tour, but when it came down to it, I decided the best thing for me was going to be to fully commit to that Symmetra tour and try to finish top 10 so that I have full status because I had seen a lot of girls in the past that had that conditional status who played some Symmetra, some LPGA, and they didn't get great status on either one and then ended up back qualifying. So that's what I did not want to happen. So I was just, I fully committed to a full year on the Symmetra tour with my goal of finishing top 10. And, um, you know, I was able to learn about traveling and experience the tour life on a smaller scale before I just, you know, dove in on the LPGA tour and, you know, where I thought I really think that I wanted to be in that top 20 the very first year out of college on the LPGA, I definitely think the learning curve for me to be on that Symmetra tour last year was huge in my development and getting me prepared for the LPGA this year. And what were some of the biggest things that you learned during that time on the Symmetra tour that had, that did prepare you for the LPGA tour? Well, I just think it's, it's like the, the small things you don't think about, like learning a new course every year or every week. And then you have, you're having to, to figure out where you're going to stay, you know, where you're like, get your flights and figure out if you're going to drive to that event. It's just kind of the small things. I mean, you, you feel like your your game is prepared, but then you don't know that there are going to be so many outside stressors that can affect your play. So I think that really helped me understand that, you know, there were a lot of intangibles that you don't think about. It's not just, it's not as simple as, oh, my game's ready. Let me just go play. It was, you know, understanding that there were going to be bumps in the road and, you know, you might have lost luggage and all this, that, and the other so, I mean, I think I think the curveballs and, and understanding that it's not just a glamorous of let's get to this tournament and, you know, we'll just win and then we'll go to the other tournament. You know, there, there are just a lot more things that you don't expect to affect your play that did. So that definitely prepared me for for this year. And, you know, not to say that this year has been super simple either, but I definitely know that a year on the Symmetra Tour prepared me more than it would have been if I just jumped into the LPGA. 
Yes, I can understand. And I know you had mentioned you had some recent travel issues. And have you been able to recuperate from all of those travel struggles with the stolen passport and the lost luggage? Yeah, I mean, I've, I honestly feel like I've, uh, I've I played my best golf during that time. I, I don't really know how, you know, you just kind of say, well, I mean, you've got this, you've got this going on, you've got this going on. I guess I'll just go try to forget about it and play golf. That's what I did. I, I was able to put those things out of my mind and, and have three consecutive uh, finishes in the top 15, which before the British Open, I hadn't finished inside the top 30. So the British Open was kind of a huge stress relief for me uh, with that top, with that T16 finish. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's it, it's definitely been the end of this year has been better golf, but it's also been a few more curveballs that I haven't <laughs> I haven't really uh, expected to experience. But uh, we pushed through them, and I'm definitely looking forward to playing three more events and then getting some time uh, to kind of rest and re-energize and get ready for next year. And how is that life on the road in terms of just the travel aspect of it and then, you know, trying to eat healthy while you're on the road and trying to, you know, work out and practice? What is that like? It's tough. I mean, I think the the general population kind of thinks it's a really, you know, you, you see kind of what, what Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and all the top guys in the world, what what their lives are like. And I think it's you know, it's, it's not that glamorous for everybody. And so you, you know, there are struggles and, you know, you're staying, you're sleeping in a different bed every week, you're in a different place every week, but it is great that I've met, you know, met some great uh, girls out on the, on the LPGA um, just through uh, college golf. And then also through plugging in with fellowship, um, the fellowship group. So it's been great this year, kind of just learning everything and, and, and meeting people, but, uh, it has, you know, it does take a toll on your body. You know, you feel, I think you, you kind of jump around a little bit time zone to time zone. And then, you know, you throw in a few different countries in there too. And before you know it, your body's saying, okay, that's enough. (laughs) So, uh, the, the, this past week has been a a really big rest week for me. I was really feeling tired after Evian and then had a few days to, to try to get ready to go to New Zealand. And then we didn't get great weather in New Zealand. So I I was, I felt pretty tired when I got back. So last week I was just tried to, you know, get a lot of rest in and, and try to recharge my batteries for the last few events. So I definitely am feeling more energized and, and ready to finish the year strong, but I'll be, I think I'll be ready come after the tour championship to put my clubs up for at least a week, a week and a half, maybe even longer. <laughs> Get a little bit more rest. I can understand. Yeah. Now, what about from the social life aspect? I mean, you're in your mid twenties. So how does the being on tour affect your social life? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough, but uh, my mom traveled with me some this year, which has been great for me. Uh, just, she's kind of helped me with the, with travel and all that kind of stuff. And you know, if, if you're kind of new to everything, it can be kind of lonely until you get plugged in with people and, and, you know, meet friends and everything like that. But it, it's, it's been great to, to meet people and go to dinner and stuff and, and everything like that. And then, you know, I have a ton of friends back home, which is tough. Cause I haven't, you know, you don't really get to see them very much, but it's, that's another thing that you look forward to in off season is catching up with everybody. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be excited to get back home and 
Um, I'm blessed to have all four of my grandparents. Uh, so, you know, anytime I'm in an off week, I try to get home to see them at least one day um, because they they are huge supporters. They've traveled to, I guess, about four, four events this year and didn't really miss a beat at all my collegiate career. If wherever I was, they were there in Mississippi State gear, fully supporting. So, it, you know, my family is very, very important to me and definitely looking forward to to that time in the off season to, to catch up with everybody and recharge and then, you know, get my game really, really prepared for the next year. And I imagine be able to watch some college football as well, right? Yes. And that's, I was in New Zealand last week or I guess week before last. And that was the weirdest thing watching college football, live college football on a Sunday. And then you watch live <laughs> NFL football on or the Sunday night football on a Monday. I mean, it's just a really weird concept to grasp. And so uh, Saturday I got to catch up and watch some college football. Unfortunately, my Bulldogs were off. They were in a bye week, but definitely looking forward to, to catching up and watching a lot of football. So what is your off season going to look like from a training perspective and, you know, trying to improve your game? What is that going to look like? It'll probably be, you know, just some like a little bit of strength training. Uh, during the season, I'm not a huge go to the gym, lift weights, all that kind of stuff. My coach and my coach encourages me to do what's called a doscue. It's a posture therapy um, in which I just try to keep my body pretty stretched and aligned so that I'm preventing injury. But in the off season, I'll definitely try to do a little bit of strength training to get my body uh, a little stronger and prepared for next year. Um, and then I'll work with my coaches just to maybe iron out some wrinkles in my swing or, or whatever might be the case that's going to best prepare me for more success next year. Those are those will probably kind of be what my training looks like in the off season. The off season, it's it's relatively short though, right? Yeah, it's. I think we finish up our tour championship is around. I don't know the exact dates, but I feel like we finish on like the nineteenth of November, something like that, and then we will. I guess season starts back up the end of January. So I mean, we have a couple of months, I guess you could say. So from your first year on tour, what has been your favorite course to play? Ooh, we've, we've played some really good ones. I, I, it was actually one of the ones that I didn't play my best on, but I really enjoyed Kings Mill in Virginia, something about that golf course. It was just a, a really pure course. It was a great challenge. And I, don't, I think certain golf courses that I don't perform well on that are difficult kind of stick out to me because – I really enjoy a challenge. So because even though I didn't perform the best that I could there, I'm excited to get back there. And it was such a pure track. And I know that if if my game is where it needs to be, I'll perform well because it is a challenge. I really enjoyed Kings Barn, too. Um, that was a course, obviously, I played really well on. But the British Open course at Kings Barn, that was a lot of fun. And it was a, I had never really played Lynx golf. The week before at Dundonald, Lynx was my first experience of Lynx golf and then uh, Kings Barn the next week. So those are probably my two favorite courses that I've played so far. And now, does your mindset change from a major event versus just a regular tour event? Not, I don't think not necessarily. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm just a huge competitor. So if it's, if it is a, a tournament with a smaller purse versus the largest purse in the U.S. Open, I'm grinding it out just as hard as I would if it were 
you know, just a, an average day on the golf course, comparatively speaking with a major championship. I mean, you always want to perform your very best in the majors, but every week, you know, I try to give it my all and get the best finish that I can. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think my mindset changes at all uh, week to week, no matter what tournament it is. But you always you always want to be your sharpest and uh, your best in the majors. Of course. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you in reference to team competition versus individual competition, obviously you're very talented and God has given you a gift to play golf. But what's your feeling in terms of that team competition that you had like playing basketball versus this individual competition that is just you on the golf course against these other golfers. How do you view the difference between the team competition and the individual competition and which one do you like best? Ah, well, I mean, I've always loved team competitions from, from basketball to playing on my high school team to even the Curtis cup with golf. The Solheim cup is a huge a huge tournament on my radar that I want to be a part of because I do love that team aspect. Um, I think there's just something about a team, a team event that separates itself from an individual tournament um, and playing for a little bit more than just yourself uh, representing the United States or your state or whatever it is. There's just something special about a team event and getting to uh, represent something so I definitely think if you ever get an get, ever get an opportunity to uh, represent something or or join together with a group of people and compete together, there's just there's just nothing like that. And um, it's definitely those type things are something or those memories stand out to me. So like the Curtis Cup, that is something that I'll never forget, and that's why Solheim Cup is something that I want to be a part of and I want to experience. And uh, representing the United States with 11 other girls who are the best in the United States, that's where I'm striving towards and, and a huge goal of mine for, uh, I guess it'll be 2019. So that's that's a huge drive for me these next couple of years in competition individually and to make that team. And now, so speaking of this, this year currently, though, on the LPGA Tour, have you met your goals and expectations? I guess coming into the year... A realistic goal of mine was top 50 on the money list. Uh, so I guess it, it's it's still attainable. Um, the the first half of the year was definitely far from expectation. I, I got very frustrated. Um, it was very stressful. But since the British Open and that 16th place finish, um, I've had a huge relief from me, which has, I think, freed me up and allowed me to play my best golf so far. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely looking forward to these three tournaments I have coming up and uh, you know, bettering my finish, which is 13th place. That's that's my best finish so far. But it's it's definitely been, I think, a good year. But I I expected a little bit more. So we'll we'll go back and you know review this year and you know set good goals for next year that hopefully you know I'll reach and be able to exceed. Now, was there ever a plan B if you didn't make the tour? Well, I mean there. There was just for not necessarily for talent, but, you know, you never know what could happen. So physical therapy was kind of my backup plan. But as as far as everything goes, you know, I feel like God gave me this distinct talent to be able to play golf. And, uh, you know, I firmly believe that he put me here for that particular reason. 
so that's kind of that's kind of what I've felt led my whole life, or, or I guess at a, a pretty young age that that's what I needed to do. And you know that that's what I think is is great is that it's more than golf to me. It's it's impacting lives and understanding that the gift is from God and that He has put me here for that purpose and um, to hopefully use that gift to uh, to reach other people and and you know tell them how great God is and that He's given me. He's given me everything that I have. So it's definitely, it's definitely been a lot of fun this year and understanding that he has it all in control, even though I get frustrated and think that I do, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but it, it, it's been, it's been a good year and I'm definitely blessed beyond measure. And so what other life lessons uh, have you learned that sports has impacted in your life? Well, I mean, I just, it's kind of like I was saying, I feel like, you know, God has given me such a great gift and it's just, it's just understanding and keeping things in perspective for me. You know, people think it's, it's all about golf for me. And, you know, at times it does become, you know, super fixated on it, but I know there's so many things going on in this world and everything that, you know, golf and what I do is just a minor blimp in this life. And so uh, I have feel like I have a great opportunity to and a great platform just to kind of share, you know, what God's done for me and how he blesses me and that he's given me all this stuff and hopefully do it all for his glory. So that's kind of what I what how I perceive or how I try to go through life and just try to do everything for his glory. For sure. Well, you're you're wise beyond your years, that's for sure. And so speaking of wisdom, what words of wisdom are important to you or that you've leaned on over the years? Any phrases, quotes or advice that you would like to share? Well, it's actually uh, a Bible verse that is kind of a, a what I look to every single day and that's First Corinthians ten thirty one, and it says, "Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." And that's kind of a a verse that you know my family instilled in me, and it's something that I try to live by, um, no matter if it's you know through life or on the golf course. I just try to do everything that would glorify God. So that that's kind of, I guess, my life verse and what I what I lean on every day. That's great words of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. And what's your best club in your bag there, Allie? Ooh, you'd like to think any one that you pull out, but um, <laughs> yes. uh, I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good driver of the ball. I hit it a, a decent amount, but I drive it pretty accurately last year. I don't know if I've driven it as well as I did last year, but um, I, there was a, a driving award where it was the person who hit it the longest with the best accuracy. Um, so I'd like to say that when you combine the two, I'm a pretty good driver of the ball, which I feel like is kind of a something that's, you know, not as important to people. They think you drive for show and putt for dough. But in my opinion, it all starts hitting the ball in the fairway. So uh, that's kind of what I feel like is one of my stronger clubs and a, a big part and an importance to me in the game. I would be a much better golfer if I could hit it in the fairway. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Allie, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I guess uh, to wrap things up, though, I did see that you you do like singing. Is a uh, career in singing in the future for you one day? 
Oh gosh, probably not. Um, <laughs> it's more, it's more so just a church thing and, uh, that's about it. <laughs> I understand. Well, beautiful. Well, Allie, again, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. I'm definitely looking forward to following you for the rest of the, the tour and for next year as well. All right. Well, that sounds great. Thanks again for having me on. It's so true that Allie is mature beyond her years, and it's not just because of what she says and how she handles herself, but it's also in her actions. And so I hope you really picked up on the fact of her patience. We live in a society now where everything is moving very fast, and this next generation of so-called millennials has often been referred to as the microwave generation. And, you know, it's a situation where everyone wants immediate results and there's no time to wait. And unfortunately, that's when you can miss out on building the proper foundation for sustained success or sustained excellence. And Allie has shown that maturity to take a step back, evaluate the situation, and look forward to the bigger picture in understanding how her actions can impact future potential success. Because remember, while she was at Mississippi State, she decided to put all of her focus on her senior year and closing out a successful college career instead of putting focus on school and some focus on qualifying school for the tour. And that was a hard decision, but she ultimately made that and it paid dividends for her. And then she had to make the hard decision to focus her efforts on the Symmetra Tour instead of trying to earn spots on both the Symmetra Tour and the LPGA Tour. And that type of focus obviously paid off as well because on the Symmetra Tour, she finished with the second highest earnings total in tour history, and that only solidified the type of foundation that she needed for a successful rookie season on the LPGA Tour, which she's on right now. And a lot of people don't have that type of maturity and discipline at her age, and that's why I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Allie McDonald in the hunt for many wins on the LPGA Tour moving forward. So speaking of moving forward, let's finish episode 32 with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. Now, continuing the theme of patience and maturity, our words of wisdom this week comes from an unknown author, but still focuses on the importance of having that maturity and patience that obviously Allie has, but also having a belief in yourself and having the strength of not quitting, even when there are times when it is very easy to quit or it's easy to cut corners because you start feeling the pressures of wanting things immediate, wanting things fast, and that's when your path can ultimately be changed and that foundation that you're trying to build, it's not being built strong enough to withstand any adversity or some type of adversity. And one thing that I know 100% for sure is that there will be adversity in your life. And the quote is, good things come to those who believe, better things come to those who are patient, and the best things come to those who don't give up. Now, it will take all three things, belief, patience, and perseverance to achieve that sustained success. And of course, it won't always be easy. Well, that finishes up episode 32. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. 
You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.